You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Appreciate the worship this morning. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we even have Santa and Mrs. Claus in the back far right corner, your left. Good to see you this morning. And uh, uh, this is a joy we get to have just a few times in our lifetime. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. Some of you coming to church on Christmas is a um, burden. And uh, I feel so bad for those who view it that way. But to me, this is just a joy, not just because I have the privilege of preaching God's Word today, but just what we've done already. Um, it's different than just doing it on our own, and I hope that uh, you appreciate that today, appreciate your faithfulness. We missed a few of you last night at our Christmas Eve service, but those that came and those that tuned in, God gave us a great evening together. Luke chapter 1 today, if you will, let's look at verse 67 and following, and we're looking at um, this season of Advent, prophetic utterances by those who were ready for the coming or the Advent of Jesus Christ and want to continue that study today. We'll finish that next Sunday morning and uh, trust you have a great week uh, with your family and in the Lord and we'll gather again next Sunday and uh, get back to um, our evening service as well next Sunday. But they're grateful you're here this morning. Luke chapter 1, let's begin if you would please in verse 67. And his father, this would be John's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the prophet of his holy as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And now he speaks to this child that God has gifted their family with. And thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring, notice this, the day spring from on high hath visited us. And notice now this phrase, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing Unto Israel. If you go back to verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And so we're talking about this morning the advent of light, the advent of Christmas light. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Fathers, we come into your presence today, um, Lord, on this day that we call Christmas, Lord, that is just our, our way of commemorating and celebrating um, not just the gifts we share between us, but the gift that you offer and extend to us. Lord, for those who have already received that gift, for each of us that that's true of us, we just we savor that anew and afresh this morning. We thank you that um, the fact that you gave your son um, shows how much you love us, how much you have placed value upon us, though we intrinsically possess no value, you have given to us value by sending your son. 
And we pray, Father, you would help us to steward that with gratitude this morning, with love and um, worship toward you and love and, and consideration toward those you've put in our lives. And I pray if there's one or more in our midst today, either in this room or watching online, that does not know yet you as personal Savior, uh, what better day to receive this gift than this morning? And I pray that you would draw um, them to yourself and uh, remove any hindrances or barriers, any blindness or um, just ambiguity, Lord, between you and them. And may they see today the light of your love and your gospel. Move and work in our hearts this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't know how this morning has looked for you. We have, uh, we're doing our gifts after the service this morning and uh, probably after lunch as well. If my wife has our schedule firmed up for us, um, as she usually does, but uh, we'll enjoy that later. But I don't know if any in the room that have um, a, a wife, uh, you're a little nervous about what she has yet to open, if it's a good enough gift. Um, and you probably should be nervous, okay? Most of us guys uh, tend to get that wrong, or at least not as right as we should. The other day I saw this little cartoon that I think captures um, maybe the, the angst and the reason for the angst that we feel as men. I don't know if you can forward that there, guys. Um, so that here's the cartoon. So you can see the guy at the counter, sales lady is helping him check out. Probably this happened on Christmas Eve. And if you can make out, some of you can, what he's purchasing. Here was the caption. Nice iron. Your wife will love it. While I wrap it up, you might want to go over to Sporting Goods and pick up a helmet. You might need that, right? Um, Gifts and making sure that the gift is appropriate. The gift is something that actually is uh, what is um, desired. Some of us guys lack light. We lack uh, discernment. We lack that perception uh, that we need. Can I just say to you this morning, Christmas, Christmas without light ceases to be Christmas. I mean, just th- and I'm not just talking about you know your overly festive neighbor that you can't sleep at night because they're so creative with their lights. I'm talking about light itself and the illumination that comes to us from God Himself in this season for which we gather this morning. And may I just say to you, our dim outlook of the present and the future reveals where we need a fresh infusion of this light. Um, if I were to ask you, how do you feel about this morning? How do you feel about the future? How do you feel about where we'll be a Christmas from now? Um, if our outlook is dim this morning and despairing, we need this morning a fresh infusion, a fresh uh, illumination, if you will, of the light uh, that we find in not just the manger, but in the finished and empty tomb that Christ entered. And so we, this morning, we, we want to encourage one another to walk in this light and to share this light as God gives us opportunity. Now, in our text today, we have Zacharias, and we've referenced him in the past as it relates to Elizabeth, one of these who uttered a prophetic utterance, and we learned from her life and her example of ways that she was prepared for God's entrance into her life. And now we have Zacharias, who, think about this, my guess would be he's holding the baby. We don't know that for sure, but he's talking to the baby, and can you visualize this senior man? Um, his wife, who is up in years and been barren all of her life, has had a child. Talk about a miracle baby that boggles the mind. And now you have this elderly man holding this baby and declaring what he knew God was about to do. I love to envision, not just me reading it or you reading it, but him saying this to the Lord, him saying this to his family and to this baby. And so Zacharias, 
uh, has this bright light of clarity now that is his, that he's sharing that this morning we can glean from. So the question today is this, in a day of unrest and turmoil and darkness and despair and often blindness, how do we open our lives and hearts to a fresh arrival of God's light uh, for us? Let's talk about two things today in the time we have left. Number one, the Advent light that we see shines into our lives the, the fact that God is faithful. That God is faithful. The temptation is, as the years go by, and I see this in me already at the stage of life I'm at, and I sense it in others that are ahead of me, would you agree that it's very possible, it's, very, it's a proneness of ours, that God's promises and God's relevance, that that begins to dim? As the eye dims, as the prospects of the future dim for us in this present life, as certain you know, young people today, uh, they don't realize the luxury. Even our teenagers that are in the room this morning, you'll say, what do you want to be or what are you going to do? And they have so many options, it's overwhelming, right? That's a struggle. But so is as our options begin to be reduced and as everything shrinks, so does often our view of the brightness of God's promises. And I just want to say this as we begin today. Here's the glorious, bright, jarring truth. God's promises and God's relevance and power at work in our world does not rest upon anything but the fact that he is faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. And that's why whether we can see it and we can't this morning or not, the sun still rises. And the promises of God just keep coming and they will be fulfilled. And so the light of Advent gives to us a reminder that it rests only and exclusively and entirely upon the faithfulness of God. And so Zacharias acknowledges that in the text that we've read this morning. So let's talk about a couple things quickly as it relates to the faithfulness of Advent light. Number one, light comes to reaffirm the proximity of God's faithfulness. So you would probably say this morning, okay, pastor, I hear you. I recognize God is faithful. But is that faithfulness close to you? That he's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. That this faithfulness is not just out in the cosmos keeping all the stars aligned, which alone is mind-boggling to say the least, but he's on this planet, he's in this county, he's in this room, he's in next near to you wanting to fulfill and be faithful to his promises. And so this proximity, this closeness of God's faithfulness, God is not the God of the deist. He didn't set the world in motion and then just let it unravel on its own and let man kind of nudge it back and forth. He holds it. He anchors it. He is uh, undergirding all that we stand upon. And so this faithfulness of Advent light. Look back at verse 68. Notice he, first of all, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Number one, jot this down, anticipated proximity. Did you notice the verb tense, just like Mary, in verse 68? He hath visited. He hath redeemed his people. Zacharias anticipated what God was going to do. In fact, he anticipated with such a strong sense of confidence that he spoke as if it had already happened. Um, anticipated proximity. Um, one of the things, if you were to ask me, one of the things I notice in our circles, Pastor, what do you see in, in churches as as you're interacting with not just folks in our community and church, but around other places as you travel, one of the things that concerns me amongst all others is the tendency that we have to primarily focus upon, talk about, and prioritize 
the dark cycles that are going on in our world. And all we talk about is how good it used to be and look at how it's trending. And we don't ever talk about what God is about to do. And letting that shine and infuse the present tense, not with darkness, but with bright light and hope and peace and all the things we've already studied on these Sunday mornings. And so this anticipation of what God is about to do. Do you know, literally, we could be one breath away from the second advent? And here's my concern this morning. It's not the world who will be out of sync and kind of flat-footed. It's going to be God's people. We're not ready for what God literally could do in the next breath that we have. And so the first advent reminds us God is faithful, not sometime just in the distant future, but in this moment. And so Zacharias recognizes that with great faith. This morning, do you belong to the anticipating group that God uniquely draws near to, that he longs to include, not just with Zacharias kind of people and Mary kind of people, but people like you and me. All right, verse 69, notice the second aspect of this proximity. He goes on, and hath raised, again, past tense, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Number two, a saving proximity. So it's not just anticipated. Number two, there's a recognition of salvation. And the word horn that's found here, this horn of salvation, is a reference to the connection between Jesus and the royal house, the lineage, the kingly lineage of David. The horn was often used uh, to hold oil that would then anoint a king. Uh, Here, this idea of anointing with salvation anointing with powerful salvation, this effective saving proximity of God's faithfulness. Um, There was a secular singer, I was just made aware of these lyrics the other day, I think he sang them many years ago. Listen to this, this is from a secular artist. He said this in one of his songs, everyone I know is lonely and God's so far away and my heart belongs to no one. So now I sometimes pray, listen to this prayer popular song of our culture in days gone by. Please take the space between us and fill it up. Fill it up some way. Do you know that God has already offered to fill up that space between us and him? And what does he fill that space with? With his son, Jesus, the one who fulfills God's promises, fulfills the craving we have for salvation. And so without the light of Christmas, God's promises remain abstract and irrelevant at a distance. Instead of up close and personal and relevant, uh, where this morning do we need to let Christmas shine upon the connection between where we are and what God has promised to fulfill through his word? Let that light enter anew and fresh into your life. All right, number two, go down to verse 70. And he spake, Zacharias goes on, and he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which had been since the world began. Number two, jot this down. So light comes first to reaffirm the proximity of God's faithfulness. Number two, light comes to reaffirm the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. So the proximity, number two, the fulfillment. Uh, Last night, I think we started a new family tradition. Um, At least I I, I would be for doing it again. I think my boys would be as well. But Heidi had a, um, have you ever done where you layer prizes between saran wrap and you create this ball and then you put on oven mitts and you just keep and one's rolling dice and once you get 
doubles, then you switch to the next person. So we did that, the four of us, last night. And she had in there um, uh, Dick's, like $5 Dick's gift cards, uh, Duncan, which that, I mean, I honed in on, the, you know, elbowed people out for that. Uh, beef jerky, candy, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and the trick was, she learned this from someone, the saran wrap, she would only use a certain section, then she would cut it. Like I've played before where you just keep rolling, but then you'd, it, would, it, would, it would get to the end of that little section, and then you had to find the new edge, you know, to unroll it. And so we did that last night. We each have now our little Ziploc bag with our things that we're keeping an eye on each other. They don't steal from them. You know, I took a picture of mine. I'm just kidding, to, to make sure no one took my stuff. Uh, but so we had that last night. And, and, and it was amazing how sticky that stuff can be, that saran wrap layered on top of each other, trying to pick something out of it as you're doing it at, at the fastest pace that's possible. Do you know that God's promises are very sticky? They're very... Um, they're not something that God says and then, oh, oh, thanks for reminding me. I had forgotten that I had promised that to my people. God is well aware of what he has yet to tick the box. He's yet to fulfill what he has promised. And he is very focused on those open-ended promises. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that God got up this morning, if we can use that expression, wanting to fulfill anew and afresh his promises and to deliver on things that he has yet to deliver on? And so this light comes to remind God's people and us this morning that God fulfills his promises. And so Zacharias, the same guy who doubted that his wife could have a child, is now affirming that God is going to fulfill uh, his promises, not just to his family, but to Israel and to the world. Two of them, quickly, we mentioned, notice in verse 70 that we just read, there is an external fulfillment so he talks about these things that God's going to do on the outside, around, if you will, Zacharias and his people and us this morning, some things that God is going to externally fulfill. In verse 70 and 71, he praises God for fulfilling prophecies that have been made to Israel, the coming of the Messiah, this salvation. Notice in verse 71, what, what's the implication of this, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So this salvation would mean deliverance from one's enemies and safety from one's foes. And, and it was striking to me, go back to the end of verse 70. I've never noticed this before that I can remember. He says, he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Think about that for just a moment. There's never been a moment on planet Earth, listen to me, where God has not been trying to shed light on the fact I've said some things and I want you to know them and believe them and count upon them. Since the foundation of the world, God has had his messengers preaching and proclaiming and testifying that God will do everything that he has promised to do. Uh, verse 72 to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies. And so in verse 72 to 74, we see praise not just for fulfilling prophecy, but for faithfulness to specific promises made to specific people. I shared this with Heidi last night. We were talking about this. I texted to her and we're both looking at it. And don't let this overwhelm you. But this, it probably will, um, this is the lineage. If you go uh, line of Luke, kind of in the middle on the left, 
line of Luke, so that would be Mary's lineage, and then list of, of Matthew, that would be Joseph's lineage. So you have, the, at the top would be to David, and if you remember, David had two sons, Solomon and Nathan, right? And that's where we see uh, Mary's line uh, through Nathan, um, and where we see Joseph's line through Solomon, and then there's Jeconiah's curse, if you're familiar with that, kind of on the right there. But basically, it shows all of, it's kind of in cartoon form, so it's kind of interesting how they put it together. That's all the way back to Adam, God fulfilling his promises that from the loins and from the descendants of Abraham would come the Messiah. And I was telling Heidi as I was looking at that, and just the creativity of that, to get all of that in that little graphic is unbelievable. But thinking about the fact that our lives also are on a timeline, right? I'm not saying we're in the lineage of Jesus Christ in the way that these folks were, but we're a part of his plan. And today is not a random day where you live and who you're related to and who's going to descend from you and what influence lingers on as a result of your life and testimony is a part of God's fulfillment. And far too often we're guilty of spiritualizing and explaining away God's unfulfilled as of yet promises. May I remind you this morning that the fact that Christ is born today is a a defense of the fact that God is tangibly and measurably following through on all of his promises. And some of these guys on this timeline probably had no clue how much their life was a link. They didn't live in light of the fact that God was faithful and God was fulfilling his promises. So light comes to reaffirm the fulfillment of God's faithfulness, specifically externally. Now, go back to our text and look at the end of verse 74. What does all of this do? Not just on the outside, but number two, jot this down, internal fulfillment. So this fulfills some things outside of us and circumstances and people and things, but it also accomplishes some things in us. Look at verse 74. That Here it is, that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear, that's an internal thing, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So number two, there is an internal fulfillment of God's faithfulness. And while externally Christmas means deliverance from enemies and serving uh, God in freedom, it is also an internal thing. It's an internal reality that only happens through Jesus. You know, light can shine to a lot of places, and even light can shine inside of us physically, but there is no light that can shine inside of our hearts, the center of who we are, like the light of the gospel. Um, we, can't even, we can't even locate, if you will, the true heart, it, the true core of who we are. It's something that's spiritual, it's soulful. And only the light of the gospel can fulfill God's promises to that part of who we are. There's no doctor, there's no guru, there's no any human being that can speak to and shine into that place, that space of who we are. Only God through Jesus uh, can do that. And so notice these three things that it it, it does for us. First, there is a fearlessness. Um, You could read it in Luke 1, Matthew 1, and Luke 2. There are three fear-not messages of the Christmas story. Fear not, fear not, fear not. In fact, if I were to ask you what is the most common command in Scripture, now you probably know the answer, but if I'd ask you prior to our study today, what is the most frequent command in Scripture? You want to know what it is? Fear not. And yet we live constantly in fear. 
when God has fulfilled everything that should, should zap, should evaporate the fears and concerns and worries that so often consume us. Human fear and God coming in the flesh, listen, are contrary to one another. And so let this God who has come in the flesh uh, help you see those fears dissipate through his presence and power. Um, I just got a, a, a text from one of our church members this last week, and amongst other things we were talking about, uh, this church member said, thank you, Pastor, for your brave leadership. And I thought, wow, I must somehow be projecting something I don't feel. Um, but that, that word really resonated with me. I was encouraged to hear that. But can I tell you, none of us are brave without what Jesus has offered to us. I scare myself, don't you? The random thoughts and rabbit trails and diversions that my flesh wants to take me on on a regular basis, only through the gospel can we be brave. Only through the gospel can we be fearless. Uh, and then secondly, you notice in verse 75, he goes not only without fear, but also with a couple of things. First, holiness. Um, and we see over and over this thing which is born of her, the angel tells Matthew, is of the Holy Ghost. And so through the incarnation, we can possess intrinsic, internal holiness before a God who sees our heart and our soul, only through Jesus. And then lastly, he says they're in righteousness. This Jesus who is born, that we're celebrating today, alone can generate in us righteousness. And I love at the end of verse 75, he says, all the days of our life. How can I have every day be a day that I stand in righteousness before God? Not because of my intrinsic righteousness, but because of that which is imputed, that which is given to me through Jesus who lived a perfect life. And so those who believe in the light of Christmas possess a bright fearlessness a bright holiness, and a bright righteousness. Here's my question to you today. Do you possess that? Does it grip you? Does it, does it sustain you? Does it motivate you? If not, why not? The other day I heard someone say this. An author said, don't be overwhelmed with the shadows. And there are a lot of shadows we could talk about and spend our time opining and bemoaning today. Don't be overwhelmed with the shadows. Listen, it only means that light is nearby. We don't see the shadows without light, do we? Um, we? We were hoping to have lights today, and Pastor Dave and Brother Hackworth and others worked hard to give us light um, this morning, but you don't see a shadow in a perfectly dark room, do you? So the fact we still see shadows, and the longer the shadows grow, actually indicates the close closer the light. The, the, the shadows themselves are a testimony of the light that's within us and the light that's around us. And so see them uh, for what they are, these shadows that are actually markers, indicators of the proximity of incarnate light. So being overwhelmed with darkness in this present world exposes where we are not confident in God's faithfulness, at least not as much as we claim to. Where do you, like this previously doubtful Zacharias need to let the light of Christmas shine freshly upon how faithful uh, to you God truly is. Let that be the reminder. Let that be the refrain of this day. All right, number two. Let's spend a few moments as well on a second gift, if you will, of Advent light. Go down to verse 76. And thou child. So now if you can picture Zacharias holding this baby, um, maybe with both arms, with the frailty of his body, and as he 
declares these things to the world watching and to his God, he now turns to this child. Notice this in verse 76, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Number two, let's talk for a minute about the initiative. So the light of Advent reminds us God is faithful. Number two, it reminds us that God is on the move. Um, one of the things that often we tend to do with God is, is, yeah, God's faithful, but he also is kind of stuck. He's a bit um, immobilized, maybe by how just big and faithful he is. And I just want to remind you, there's actually this tension going on with our God. Not only is he faithful, listen to me, he is on the move this morning. I think someone could get saved in this room this morning. I think someone watching online, God could do something in a heart in this room that knows Christ, but there's just a coolness between you and him, between you and, and, and his church, between you and his word, between you and his spirit. God is moving. And Christmas reminds us of that. The light of the gospel reminds us that God possesses initiative. Um, I was talking with someone recently. I was sharing about going to Israel, and the person said to me, and I'm just wired, you know, let's do something about something. Let's not just talk about it or bemoan it. But I was sharing, not anyway criticizing this person, but I said, yeah, I think you ought to go. And uh, they said to me, and they're not much older than I am, well, I was hoping in this life to be able to go, but I guess not. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, if, if, if that's really something you feel you should do, God wants you to do, you got, you got some time, you got some ability, you, you could do that. It's funny how we lose our drive as the years go by. Well, you know, there's, there's some risk and there's some discomfort. And, um, you know, travel obviously is not as glamorous as sometimes we think it is. A friend of mine said this the other day as he travels a bit as well. He said, probably the best part of coming home after a trip is knowing exactly where the shower faucet handle needs to be for the perfect temperature, yeah. right? At home, you know what's comfortable. You know what's convenient. Could God not have just stayed home and still been faithful? Well, maybe not because of the promises he made, but he's the one who made those promises. What if he had just decided to just stay home and let us figure this out on our own? Our God possesses, possesses initiative. He comes after us. You didn't find God. God found you, right? He came after you with his goodness and his grace and, and his holiness. And, and so this initiative of God is clearly... Uh, revealed through Zacharias. All right, let's talk about a couple things and we're done. Number one, light comes to reveal the mission of God's initiative. Light comes to reveal the mission of God's initiative. Number one, it is a preparing mission. Go back to verse 76. You notice that this prophet of the highest, that's a reference to Jehovah that is, is inferred then is assigned to Jesus. This is Jehovah here, and the prophet of the highest is John, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. This preparing mission that is assigned to this baby in the arms of Zacharias. And so John here would, is described as the prophet of the Most High, preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of the Lord and proclaiming the salvation. It comes to his people through forgiveness of sin. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, of which this is a fulfillment. Behold, the prophet says, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. 
Um, Zacharias, the son, his son John, is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the one who will accomplish that mission. And so the light of Christmas reminds us that our lives are not random, but a carefully orchestrated part of God's bigger plan and purpose. This should lead us this morning to have zeal and commitment to be poised and prepared for what God wants to accomplish through us. Just a question to you this morning. What's your mission? Why are you still breathing this morning? Is it just to to try to keep body and soul together, as we would say, just to try to have enough funds and resources to be able to retire comfortably or sustain that retirement? Is there not some driving mission? That mission that you received through a Jesus who came to fulfill his mission to not just save you, but then engage you in this worldwide mission, this evangelistic, this worshipful mission that now we have the privilege to participate in. Verse 77, as I just mentioned, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. That was the message, that was the mission of John. All right, verse number 80, we'll come back to the verses we skipped in just a moment. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the days of his showing unto Israel. Number two, it was a consecrating mission, a consecrating mission. Um, have you noticed how beauty is very subjective? Uh, if you can go back to like maybe magazine articles from the 40s or the 60s um, or whatever, and uh, things that were beautiful, what a woman should look like, what a man should look like, styles, we could talk about that, things that were in vogue, things that were not in vogue. Um, I was reading the other day that in China, that to them, a beautiful head shape is a rounder orientation. And I almost can't believe this, but they actually sell in China, and it's a very popular thing. They sell um, headgear that you put on your child, not to protect them when they get to be men who don't buy the right gift. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, Or on a bike, it's to change the shape of their head while their head is malleable, while it's soft, the soft tissue. And they sell sleeping pillows that also are conducive to that shape. And to a, to a Chinese mindset, at least last I read a few weeks ago, to them, the rounder the head, uh, the better. So if some of you are like, wow, I didn't realize that was so uh, beautiful, the big round-headed people in the room, all right? I would be one of them. Um, but isn't it funny how, how we try to prepare and groom our children in the right sense? We try to position them for what is coming next. Can you imagine doing that here in the U.S., seeing a child walk around with headgear on? Why are you wearing that? Protect yourself? No, so my head will meet the standard of beauty. Um, it's just crazy to think about that. Um, preparation, consecration. Think about what it cost this family to have John ready for the mission that God had for him to be on the cutting edge, if you will, the end of the spear, the point of the spear, if you will, of God's redemptive plan being enacted. Um, in fact, you notice that he, at the end of verse 80, he lives in the desert. That had an impact on, on John. It also affected Elizabeth and Zacharias. It's probably not how they pictured having their first child going, uh, growing up, and, and maybe sometimes the disconnection with him as he was being prepared. If you go back to verse 17 in the prophecy, he shall go before him. This is the angel to Elizabeth in the spirit and power of Elias, transliteration of Elijah. And so just as Elijah lived in the desert, just as Elijah was consecrated away from the the congregation and the masses of humanity. John, in the same vein and spirit, uh, is preparing 
uh, for his role and his responsibility. And if God was willing to send his son to our world, the least we can do with our own lives and that of our children, our families, is to consecrate our lives this Christmas to live for that mission, to be prepared for that mission. And so for the light of Christmas to truly shine in and through us, it will cost us dearly. Where are we not preparing? Where are we not consecrating our own lives to him? You know, the only thing that will shut out the light the only thing that will snuff the life out in this world is not the hedonists, it's not the haters. It is, this morning, those who refuse to let it shine through them. That will not prepare their lives to be pure vessels. That will not consecrate their homes and their marriages and their interaction with others. To be ready to let the light of the gospel shine in our hearts and through our hearts to, world, to the world that's watching. All right, let's land today in verse 78 and 79. Through the tender mercy, so Zacharias is now winding down his praise and his song and his testimony. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Number two, jot this down. Light comes to reveal the brightness. So the mission of God's initiative. Number two, and lastly, the brightness of God's initiative. If I did my math right, in fact, I think I just got this from a friend of mine, but the next time we will have Christmas on a Sunday is 11 years from today. Is that confirmed? Others can confirm that. I want you to think about for just a moment where you'll be in 11 years. Um, I don't know how to put this nicely, but some of us are not going to be here, even if this is still, this church is still in motion and probably you'll have a better pastor maybe by then, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Either God will change me or change me out for someone who is a little better at it than I am. But 11 years from now, we won't have the teenagers in the room. won't be teenagers. They'll probably be dropping a child off at the nursery. I know that's weird for them to think about this morning. Um, but, uh, and there will be some of us that are not here, I hope with the Lord. Um, can I just say to you, as the moments click by, as the moments click by, if we're not careful... We forget how purposeful and intentional every moment should be stewarded. And the brightness of Christmas reminds us that God's mission is being worked out one moment at a time. This day is a day that's a part of what he's doing. This day will be, with other days added together, the sum total of his initiative. And so it makes this day more important. It makes this day more significant. And everything about Christ's birth, about his ministry, about his death, about his burial, and about his resurrection was done boldly and brightly so the whole world could see it. It wasn't done in some little obscure corner of, of Judaism. It was, the whole world, our, our, the date, everything, it revolves around these moments and these significant interventions of God in human history. He inserted himself brightly and boldly so that we would either accept it or reject it, but we for sure wouldn't be able to ignore it or miss it. And so God wants to shine through us as Zacharias is willing to yield to in his own family. Notice two characteristics of this brightness as we finish. Number one, it is a merciful brightness through the tender mercy of our God. I love that phrase. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Um, this day star has the idea of a sunrise, and he likens Christ's coming to the rising of the sun as it crosses the horizon. 
For centuries, the world had laid in darkness. Now, through the tender mercy of God, this dawn was about to break forth in a way that was bright, to say the least. And so part of what the light of Christmas reveals is how entitled, how take-for-granted we often are about what God has given us. We do not deserve the sunrise of Christmas. We don't deserve any of the light that we've talked about today, do we? And the only reason we and everybody like us has access to it is because of the tender mercy of God. To me, that changes my view of the light. Not everybody sees the light and comes to the light, and none of us deserve the light. Stewarding it with gratitude, stewarding it with sobriety, stewarding it with uh, what God would have in our faithfulness. Psalm 67, I thought of this verse, verse 1, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face, cause his face to shine upon us. He only shines upon us because he first is merciful to us. We that he should turn his face away from, he turns toward us through the incarnation, through the gift of his son. All right, lastly, verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Lastly, it is a revolutionary brightness, a revolutionary brightness. This revolutionary brightness would come through the person of Christ shining, listen, not just to the Jews, but here I believe in verse 79's allusion to the Gentiles, to those who sit in darkness. That's not a reference, I believe, to the Jewish people. He's referencing that to the outsiders, not just to those who are close, those who are a part of the promises of Abraham, but to all people, those who sit in the furthest extremities of the shadow of death that to them is offered this same light. And as he does so, he will guide those who respond into the way of peace. The other day I heard someone say this, the greatest threat to Christmas is not secularism or consumerism, but our own boredom with what is the most thrilling story ever told. Boredom with the most thrilling story ever told. And so may we be moved by the mercy and the revolution that God has started through what he has shined through uh, the, the manger. If we're missing out this morning on what God is doing in a powerfully fresh way all around us, and I'm telling you, he's moving in so many ways that we cannot even imagine. If you're missing out on that, if I'm missing out on that, it's inexcusable. It is not something that we accidentally missed. It is willful ignorance. Through Jesus' word, through Jesus' spirit, through his local church, he is spotlighting the revolution of mercy that he wants to bring us into and then enable us to be a part of in the moments we have left in this life. All right, let's end in John 1. Would you go there for a moment? John chapter 1, and hopefully my schedule syncs up with your Christmas ham today, okay, or whatever you have in a few moments. John chapter 1. I'm mainly worried about our Christmas ham, so that's you, you do whatever you want with your ham. John chapter 1, and let's look, if you would, verse 6 through verse 9. And I love that John, um, the disciple John, gives to us this final thought as it relates to light and to the incarnation on this Christmas morning. John chapter 1, and beginning in verse 6. Before we read that, um, I went out to the kitchen. I didn't ask Heidi for permission, but this is the list for our day, all right? So pop for the odor. This is what we have going today, okay? But Heidi has, she's a list person. Do you notice up at the top, the nose of something overseeing this? 
It's a gnome. That's the gnome soap dispenser I referenced earlier, okay? So this is all under the surveillance of, of a gnome, making sure we stay on schedule. And she's got all kinds of things. And then just notice in the bottom left, this is just so you know, at one o'clock we eat and then presents to follow. So we know, and I don't know if that was her checking me from opening gifts this morning. I don't know what it was, but we have that schedule. And the, the kitchen light, that's what I saw as I went to turn the coffee on this morning, was that list. Can I just say to you, and I'm not trying to get out of the doghouse because of the gift I'm a little sketchy on today, but I can't imagine waking up on Christmas morning without seeing that and sensing that, what my wife adds to our life. Can you imagine this morning, wake, and some of you are processing that with your own family and spouse and whatever you're facing, but can you imagine getting up without God at the helm? Can you imagine how dark that place would be? So why are we so down? Why are we so dim today as we look to the future? Look here in John 1. It gives to us this really removal of the excuses. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's the son of Zacharias. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, that all men through him might believe. All right, that's God's agenda. That's his mission with the light. He, John, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That's us, folks. Verse 8. Now verse 9. That was the true light. Notice this, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That was the true light. And so here we see John saying that other people may have claimed to be guides, may have claimed to be saviors, but there is only one who is the genuine light. He is the best. He is the truest. He is the faithful light. And this light shines on and exposes everyone. Doesn't matter what nationality, what race, what color, this light shines to all people. And so the light of Christmas today removes all our excuses to not depend upon it or to launch out with it. This light shined unto us by God himself. All right, listen to this brief challenge and then we'll pray. One author said this, because of the commercial indispensability of Christmas, it will remain with us as a secular festival. My fear is, however, that its true roots will become more and more hidden to, the, to most of the population. And I think we see that trend occurring in our day. The emphasis on light and darkness comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. The giving of gifts is a natural response to Jesus' stupendous act of self-giving when he laid aside his glory and was born into, a human race, into the human race. The concern for the needy recalls that the Son of God was born not into an aristocratic family, but into a poor one. The Lord of the universe identified with the least and the most excluded of the human race. Now listen to these words. These are powerful themes, but every one of them is a two-edged sword. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us uh, so that we might give ourselves wholly to him. We are therefore, listen, not our own, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Christmas, like God himself, is both, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we can imagine. And here's my challenge to us today. Would you let God's light today both thrill you, but threaten, challenge, edify, and exhort us to be faithful stewards with the light that he has given? Here's the question, and we'll pray. Will you choose today to open your heart to the coming light of God that offers to us divine faithfulness 
and divine initiative. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word.